Um, let me give you a recap of, of where we're at. As a church, if you are a guest, we just go straight through books of the Bible. We're in the book of Genesis, uh, verse by verse, line by line. And, and so we've made it all the way after five weeks to chapter three. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> so with that said, the theme of Genesis is just really that, that all things new. It's, it's the, uh, the seed, if you will, the bedrock from which all of life comes out of. You understand what's happening today because of what happened in Genesis. That's how Genesis flows. Literally everything. And so graph-wise, this is what it looks like in graph format. Genesis broken up into four major events, four major people. That's the whole flow of the book of Genesis. We've made it through number one um, event. And then number two, Tyler kicked off last week. He killed it last week, didn't he? Um, <clears throat> Went through the fall. We will wrap up the fall of mankind today, and then we'll enter into the third major event beginning next week with the flood. And so that's kind of where we're at. Um, so as Tyler pointed out, in the first Adam, mankind fell, and then in the second Adam, um, through Christ, mankind finds risenness. And so this is where we're at. So today, just because we covered their nakedness last week before the Lord in their sin, doesn't mean that we get to skip over the consequences. And so today we'll continue in the fall of man and what that looks like. Um, Because sin does have consequences. And so, yes, there was a grand end of the story and we all applauded. And and I'm telling you, last week at the... What was the last song we sang? I literally thought the roof was about to pop off the place. Um, It it was just a phenomenal moment of gospel. Um, but today we're going to find ourselves dragging ourselves right back into the muck of it, just giving you a heads up right off of the bat. Um, so if I could title this anything, I would title today's section just Sin's Divided Cluster. Again, I would add more to that if you would allow me to, but we'll probably just end it at cluster for the sake of this time. Uh, Next week we'll get to a dedicated remnant where we get to the flood, but this week really is a picture of the fullness of the doctrine of sin. It just is. All of, again, all of life flows out of Genesis. So if you've ever wondered what is the doctrine of sin, well, it comes in its fullest picture through Genesis and then it's recapped all the way through Scripture. This is going to hit us pretty hot and heavy real fast. What we're going to see is that Adam's fallout went further, deeper, and wider than anything he ever dreamt of. In other words, his sin wasn't just his sin. It literally impacted all of his family, everything around him, cosmic chaos, and ultimately us today. Not that we get to blame it on him because we choose to willfully sin on our own. So this is where it comes from. And it's going to set... I guess what I would say is the first sin sets in motion a pattern for all sin. All sin can be boiled down to this, limitless acts of rebellion to appease our own cravings. That's it. That's what sin is in its simplest form. Limitless, unlimited acts of rebellion. I will do anything that I want to do Ultimately, just to appease my own craving, what I want right now, what I want for me, what I want in this moment gives way to everything else. And so this is the pattern of sin. Let me give you some examples of this. 1993, Tanya Harding, allegedly, allegedly, throws out a hit on Nancy Kerrigan. 
Why? Because she's a threat to getting a medal. Limitless acts of sin just because we want what we want. 2003, a guy named Fergus Glenn, you can't make this up, kills his own brother. You want to know why he kills his own brother? Because he cooked his brother a meal and his brother did not say thank you. That's why he killed him. Now listen, if that was the case, all of us would be dead. But limitless acts of rebellion just because I want what I want. 2011, a guy named Robert Lyons killed his own mother. His own mother. Why did he kill his own mother? Because at the age of 39... He requested that his mother buy Skybox tickets for an Avril Lavigne concert to which she said no. Now listen, I love Avril Lavigne. (laughs) But this is why he killed his own mother. Limitless acts of rebellion. 2022, your sinful choices and my sinful choices. Why? Just because we want something. And so lest we look at those things and go, that's just crazy. Well, what about our own sin? Why do we choose what we do? Again, the doctrine of sin. So ever since Adam's fallout, I'm going to throw a quote up here. It'll be on the screen the rest of the time. And and I I hope if you don't get anything else, you'll get this one quote. Go ahead and pop to that next screen. Um, It'll be on the bottom of the screen. Um, And and it's just simply this. My friend Bo Shedd, the one-legged evangelist, said it this way. All sin takes you farther than you ever wanted to go, keeps you longer than you ever wanted to stay, and costs you more than you ever thought that you would pay. The doctrine of sin. So let's see how Adam's sin gives his children wicked hands, gives his children wicked hearts, and ultimately gives his children wicked worship. It's really going to bring a fullness to the picture of Psalm 51.5 that says this, In my mother's womb I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. This is going to be the fullness of this today. Aren't you glad you came to Safe Haven? Number one, we're going to look at a family celebration as we continue Genesis chapter 3. Family celebration. Now Adam knew he laid with his wife Eve. Now, we just came out of the fall from last week. The fall happens, and then all of a sudden, boom, family celebration. There's a renewal that goes on here. Life continues. Now, Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived, and she bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now, this was the first natural birth in Scripture. Everything else had been created from the hand of the Lord. So this is the first natural birth, the first pain in childbearing, if you will. So all the ladies, you can blame this Eve lady. Um, I believe this was joyful in this moment. They're, They're humans. So in this moment, I think they're feeling the belly. So so Cain is in Eve's belly, and I think Adam's, I think he's feeling it. I think he's probably taking his ear and, you know, putting it up, and he's like... Knocking on like, what? hey, you know, whispering to it. Hey, we're going to be good buds. We're going we're gonna to make arrows together or dance together or whatever, you know, this kind of stuff. Why do I say that? Because they're humans, and that's what humans do. They're no different than any of us. They're real people. Like we look at Genesis and go, oh, Adam was way too sophisticated for that. Why? 
<laughs> Why? They're just like anybody else. They're, they're having fun. This is a cool moment. Newly regenerated after the fall. Um, and, and, and so then it goes on to say this, verse 2. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Double joy. Uh, there's somebody in this room who also has a double joy in their belly right now as we speak. Double joy and, and maybe even more. And so then we just skip straight to the working years. Like there's no, they played and they swung on trees and they tackled alligators and like none of that. They just go straight to the working years and they both apprenticed apparently up under their father, right? Their father did everything. He was a rancher, he was a gardener, and as he, they apprentice under him, they choose sides. And so scripture goes on to say this. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, so he's a shepherd, and Cain a worker of the ground, so he's a farmer. This is the occupations they chose. Great occupations, noble occupations at the time, because let's be honest, there were no more occupations. This is what they could do. And so parents are good. Kids are good. Are all you guys good? Yeah, everything's good. It's great. And remember last time everything was good, humans messed it all up. And we're going to see that this is kind of what happens right next. So we start off this journey through chapter 3 with a family celebration, which ends in a family crisis. Let's look at the family crisis, verse 3. So in the course of time, now we don't know how long a time this was or what the season was, but in the course of time, what we do know is that a church service is going to be involved. In the course of time... Both are headed to a worship service, a specific time and a specific location, together. And Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain, crisis, somebody say, dum, 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 because this is the moment, dum, 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 dum. But for Cain, in his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. His, his countenance literally fell in this moment. So two questions are going to merge real quick, aren't they? The two questions as we unpack this, if you'll allow it and if we'll allow it, if, if I will allow it, is actually going to expose us and not so much Cain and Abel. Because we love to come to this Genesis 3 and read Cain and Abel and go, let me learn about Cain and Abel, rather than going, what is this, what, how does this speak about Troy? And so if we'll allow it to, let's look at these two questions. Now I think this will answer a lot of questions in your life if you will allow it to. Why did Cain become so angry? That's question number one. Why did Cain get so angry? They, they both went to church together. They both brought an offering. Why, why did he get so angry? And if you will, for those who have ears to hear, that question right there is the biggest question in the entire book and will unlock more in your heart than you realize. That question. Why was he angry? More on that later. And then question number two. Why was Abel's offering accepted and Cain's rejected? Now those are two Totally different questions, but let's just kind of look at this. Cain and Abel going to church together, headed off to church. I assume their church is in the woods at this point. There's no, the temple's not built. There's no whatever. So I don't. They're they're walking up to an altar somewhere, right? 
So they come to offer. So number one, they both went to worship. That's notable. Because as they both go to worship, that's a good thing, isn't it? That's a, it's a really good thing. And then number two, they both brought offerings. Like the first thing was a good thing, but that's an even gooder thing. They both came together with something. And remember, a lot of people will go, ah, well, it's because one was a blood offering and one was a fruit offering. And when you do that, you're starting to read into things that were spoken in the law. Remember, the law doesn't even exist yet. So a blood offering and a fruit offering, they're both just offerings before the Lord. They're both great offerings. There's, there's no difference between the two. And so the key, number three, seems to be if you watch carefully what happened in the verse. And probably some of you caught it. Watch carefully. Cain brought what? An offering. He just brought an offering. It's almost as if this. Cain goes, oh, it's Sunday. Back in, it would have been Saturday back then, the day of rest. Oh, it's Saturday. I got to go worship. Um, walking through the garden. There's a carrot. <laughs> There's a this. And we're going to get it on the way. He just brought an offering. Now watch the contrast. The contrast is Abel brought what? The firstborn and the fat portions. Meaning that he didn't just go through the motions, that it was thought out. That he sat there, he contemplated the song that we sang before. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. He is majestic in glory. He is wonderful. I get to worship him. Not I don't have to. Not I have to worship him. I get to worship this holy Lord. What can I bring before this king? I mean, he's pumped. He's thinking about it. So much so that he goes, all right, I got all these sheep. I got all these goats. I got all this whatever. Aha, there's a firstborn, an unblemished. Boom, grabs it. That's going to give an illusion and a foreshadowing of what's to come in Christ. Boom, take that. And then he's going to take time and he's going to prepare it. He doesn't, just run, he doesn't just run by Winn-Dixie and grab the cupcakes. I mean, he sits down and makes the banana pudding. That's not a knock. That's not a slur. That's, it's, it's, it's just what he, he took time. He cuts it open. He carves it out. He gets the steak and the sirloin, and he goes, no, this is the fatted part. This is the tenderloin. This is the tenderloin. All of you dear people hoarding the tenderloin, learn from this brother here. He don't throw the flank out there. He don't throw the hog jaw and whatever that even is. I grab nose, whatever the jaw. He, he, gets the, he gets the good stuff. He's thinking about it. So in other words, here we go. All sin, doctrine of sin, begins at the heart level, doesn't it? All of it. Jeremiah 17, 9 says it this way. Our hearts are deceitfully wicked. Don't ever let somebody to tell you in advice, or please don't ever tell somebody in advice, hey, I know you got this question, just trust your heart. That's horrible advice. Because Jeremiah says your heart is desperately wicked. It's evil above all things. Call in to check your heart is what the Bible says. This is why James 1.15 says it this way. That we have internal desires. And those desires give birth 
to sin, and then sin ultimately gives birth to death. And when we think about sin, we instantly go to, ah, gross death, and rarely contemplate, why did my heart go there in the first place? What is it that I wanted in the moment, right now, no matter the cost? Limitless rebellion. This is what happens. It's taxes. It's fitting. It's tax season. Just picked up our taxes the other day. Oh, boy. What am I going to do with that? Stupid Todd Cowart says i got to pay some things. <laughs> if you know Todd Cowart, he's a friend of ours. You know, he would laugh at that whenever. So what do I do with that? Maybe I pay it, maybe I don't. Maybe I fudge it, maybe I cheat it. Why? Because I want some more money. So I cheat there because I want in the moment, gluttony. It is not because McDonald's Big Mac looks so delicious. I mean, have you seen those things after they sit in your car for three years? They look the same, right? Gluttony. It's because I want to eat right now. Hungry. And that brownie looks good. So I won't just take a bite of it in moderation. I'll eat 50 of them. I'll eat the whole dadgum pan. Why? Because I want to. Porn. An active choice. Why? Because I want release. Because she doesn't take care of my needs. He doesn't take care of my needs. I want what I want, and I want it now. Lying. Stupid stuff. Lying about stupid stuff. Why? Because I want my image to be pristine. And I want people to think something of me. So I'll, I'll spin this or change that or whatever so that the person hearing it will go, Oh, ooh, yeah. Yeah. You're right. And they're wrong. We want that. All this comes from Genesis. The ultimate beginning. And specifically in the text at hand. One presented from his hand and the other presented from his heart. So if you're looking to what unlocks this passage, one came with his hand and one came with his heart. And in the context of the scriptures, this is about an offering. This is one person going, oh, okay, it's worship time. Here's my wallet. Here's a tin, Lord. Here's my hand. Here's the work of my hand. And the other is from a heart. Lord, you've given me all things. So I gladly come and worship and I've prepared an offering to lay before you. This is what's in the text. One came arrogantly as if God owed him something. I'm out here working this field. I grew these crops. I tilled the soil. This is mine, Lord. Here you go. Here's your Brussels sprout. No offense, Christina. Here's your rutabaga. Boom. I don't eat them anyway, Lord. Boom. It costs me nothing. One comes arrogantly. One comes humbly, recognizing, Lord, none of these sheep are mine. None of these goats are mine. None of my flock is mine. Lord, this is the best I got. If I I had better than this, Lord, I'd give that to you. Take the best I've got. Lord, because you deserve it, I'm thankful. This is the text of the scripture. Paul picks this back up. 
Paul picks this back up in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7 that says this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And each one must give, here's the key, as he has decided in his heart. That's the key. Not reluctantly. Not under compulsion. I'm going to do it because if I don't... For God loves a what? Cheerful giver. Now that verse makes way more sense, doesn't it? He's going right back to Genesis. He's going right back there. This all is birthed out of Genesis. And the sad reality is that in Christianity today, in large part, people think more about the birthday gift that they're about to give to that human being that is four years old than how they're going to worship the Lord with an offering gift. That's the sad reality. And the even sadder reality, if we're gut-level honest, most, statistically speaking, in the church are worse than Cain. Because at least Cain brought an offering. So with that said, this passage got real practical real fast, didn't it? Got real pointed. Statistically speaking, just this is Safe Haven and Journal. And I've been in ministry for over 24 years now, full time. So this is not just Safe Haven. This is statistically across church broad. Statistically at Safe Haven Church, 25% of our church this past year offered the Lord nothing monetarily as far as tithes and offerings go. 25% of our church. 25% of our church according to economic standards in the community that we are, that we live in, and I don't get records, I don't know who gives what, I know what me and Julie Beth give, you guys know that, I don't know anything. But I do know that 25% of our church gave nothing, 25% of our church tithed according to community standards, and most people in here are way above community standards, as average mean goes. And then 50% of our church, occasional token of here's a 20, here's a 10, whatever. And so here's the thing. A depraved heart says this. Why should I give God 10% of my first fruits? When a gracious Lord says, why should I let you keep 90% of what I let you have? A depraved heart says, well, I'll worship, you know, when there's nothing better to do. (laughs) I... (laughs) Today, it's just real sunny, so I don't know if I can go worship the Lord. I'm going to worship Him in His creation. Or, the flip side, oh, it's just too cold today. It's too cold today. Or, I'm real tired today, so I don't know about worship. Or, I've got that sport today. Or, I've got that hobby today. Or, I've got that party tonight. So, forget worship of the Lord, because i got all of these things when a gracious Lord says, Hey, don't forsake the assembling of yourself together. Why? Because it's for your good. It's for others' good. And ultimately, the Lord says that because it's for my glory. Do It was real fun when we were singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And everybody's like, yes, He's holy. My question is, do our actions also say, He's holy? He's holy. He deserves everything I got. When all He asks for is an hour? An hour? I don't. I, I got I to gotta go. The fish 
only bite from 10 to 11 on Sundays. It's the only time they bite, Troy. Your heart's starting to shine through. A depraved heart functions from leftover mentality rather than first fruits. God, you can have my leftovers if there's anything left. So I'm going to address three phrases because it's time to address them. I'm going to address three phrases because they've been repeated around Safe Haven Church quite often and I've never addressed them. So if you're mad already, this is a great time to take a potty break. And if you go take a potty break, we know that you're one that said it. Let's address three things. Three phrases I've been hearing a lot lately. Number one, well, you know, sometimes there's just nothing left to give. If you're the one saying that, finish the sentence. That's fine to say it, but just finish the sentence. There's nothing left to give after, after. I pay for my house, my car choice, my membership choice, my clothes choice, my eating out choice, my cell phone choice, my boat choice, my vacation choice, my kids event choice, and yes, lo and behold, my $17 coffee choice. Just finish the sentence. Be honest with yourself. And here's the thing. The Lord says, give up your first fruits. And what we do is go... I'll give you what's left over after I appease all of my selfish desires. That's the heart of Cain. Own it. Own your heart if that's you. Quit pawning it off on something else and then change it. Phrase number two I've been hearing quite often. Hey, but at least I make it to church occasionally. (laughs) You know, some people, they don't go at all. That's fine to say. Just finish the sentence. At least I make it to church occasionally to consume others who are giving away their time and prep for music, to consume others giving away their study of Scripture and the gospel, to consume of others who are going to disciple my children, to consume of others who have given away for art and atmosphere and all of these things, to consume of others who have funded external ministry and internal ministry, to consume of people who have supported the building and the gravel and the cleaning, to consume of others who've prepared communion and baptism and and child dedication, and to ultimately give nothing of time, energy, effort, or resources, but to just come consume, and it's blatant consumerism. It's no different than going to McDonald's because you know McDonald's will be open when you go or when you choose to go. This is the heart of this. All those people that pay the bills, fund the ministry, show up weekly, they'll be there when I decide to show up and bless them with my presence. It's the heart of Cain. Connor, that Connor, he'll show up. He gets here at 7 o'clock. I know he'll show up in the mud and take all the stuff and unpack it. I know he'll be there for me when I choose to show up. This is the heart of Cain. And then complain about it. 
<laughs> because you don't get complaints from people who are giving their lives away. That's the people that show up occasionally is who you get the complaints from. They complain about, well, that service was really long. And that parking sucked. That's Hebrew, right? Sucked. Wasn't no parking. I had to park in the ditch. I had to park on the road. I had to park back here. I had to park in the mud. I had to park in the blah, blah, blah. That music was just so loud. Them drums. Oh, Tyler. I'm going to out him right now. And and two people in this room know what I'm going to say. Two people in this room. Oh, Tyler, he called us all prostitutes. What's he thinking? That toilet paper is too rough. Y'all giggle. When I heard it, I didn't giggle. I wanted to vomit and slash karate punch chop right in the jugular. Can we get better toilet paper? Can you give your life away? Drums. We're still complaining about drums in 2022. Those drums are so loud. Tanner getting at it. Worshipping probably has no idea how loud he's even playing. Worshipping. How dare he erupt my eardrum. Stop. It's consumerism. So here's the thing. For whoever needs to hear it. Hey, we love you. And we're glad you're here. We really are glad you're here. But safe haven does not exist to serve you. We come to worship an audience of one. One. Number three. Like we're still on these phrases. You're like, he's not kidding. Like he may go three hours today. Well, maybe it'll give you something to complain about. (laughs) Number three. So, I'd give more. If it'd be for what I wanted. Phrased this way. Now that safe haven has something specific to give towards, I think we'll start giving. Which is fine to say. Just finish the sentence. Now that we got something specific to give for, because it will benefit what I desire, because it will benefit my presence, preference, because it will benefit my arrogant control, because we're finally getting a building, and I'm going to try not to lose my ever-loving mind right now. So don't take the potty break. heads up, we've been doing gospel ministry for 12 years now without a building. And if you think that this building now makes us a bona fide ministry, you don't get the gospel. How dare you point that out of the text, Troy? How dare you take God's instructions and make them suggestions? 
so lest we prematurely take a side. Cain, Abel, that's the bad guys, Troy. Let's quit talking about us. Let's let the text be honest with our own hearts as a church. Let's grow up and be big boys and girls. Sin takes you farther than you want to go, keeps you longer than you want to stay, and costs you more than you want to pay. It's the doctrine of sin. And now we know deeper into Cain and Abel because the New Testament gives us deeper depth. Hebrews 11 and 4 says this, that Abel's offering was one of faith. How can I express my worship? Cain's offering, 1 John 3, 12, was one of evil, John says. How can I pacify the Lord with my token works? So now watch this. Another stunning picture of God's grace in the Old Testament. Let's move on. And all God's people said, amen. Personal choice number one. Troy, be funny. It's, I like you better when you're funny, Troy. Well, this is the text we got. And I'm not that funny. Personal choice number one. Verse six. The Lord said to Cain after all this, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? In other words, his physical nature has changed. He's got these outward works, but his heart is rotten from the core. Verse 7, grace. So all the people who says there's no grace in the Old Testament, the Old Testament God is totally different than the New Testament God. You tell those people who say that they've never read the Bible. This is littered with grace in this moment. If you do well, will you not be accepted? Hey, Cain, you've got a choice, buddy. You can have, you ready for this bone? An upglow. You've heard this word, upglow? Bones never heard it. An upglow. I had never heard this word before. Have y'all heard the word upglow? An upglow apparently is somebody who might have uh, not, um, oh, maybe this way. As they've grown up, they've become more attractive. A what now? A glow. Oh, you've all heard of glow ups. I'd never heard this word before. A glow up. Yeah, he's giving this brother a glow up. Hey, you can glow up. Now, most of the people are like, I have no idea. What, ha- where, what has happened to this church? <laughs> okay. A glow up. As you're Googling Ray Ortland, Google glow up. All right? So apparently he can, he can have this glow up. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It's a beast just ready to pounce on you. Its desire is contrary to you. But you must rule over it, Cain. Cain, I'm offering you grace, brother. Draw a line in the sand and do today what you wish you would have done yesterday. And that's, we'll, we'll call it even right there. It's so gracious. It's so gracious. That's the gospel. So gracious. And so God's consistently giving a chance to repent. God's consistently giving a chance to change. God's consistently warning about sin's outcome. Again, this is about the doctrine of sin. And He's doing so right now. He's doing so right now with many of you and me. Things in our lives that we sinfully choose on our own. He's saying, listen, don't let that master you. Do not let it master you. You master it. But Cain is going to choose to rebel the Lord once again. It's active rebellion. Which strikes in the face of the old phrase, hey, look, if God, if God really wanted me to do something, he would come and tell me personally. How many of y'all have said that? If he would just tell me personally, like face to face, then I would obey him. Anybody else will admit to that? I've done that. No, you wouldn't. Cain didn't. He's face to face with God. 
God's like, here is the instruction. Cain goes, eh, that's all right. So he walks out. Why? Because a heart set on rebellion is just hedonistic to the core. Hedonistic meaning I want what I want. Do you see how this all just ties together? And I want what I want and I want it now. I don't care what my parents tell me. What do they know? They're parents. I don't care what my friends tell me. What do they know? They're just friends. I don't even care if what you're telling me is in a motive of love. I don't care. And ultimately, I don't even care what God tells me. I don't care what God tells me about worship or giving or serving or loving or sharing or tithing. or what. I, don't, I don't care what he says. Why? Because I want what I want and I want to please my own soul. And that is the essence of sin. All birthed right here. And so let's not deflect our sin issues. Deflect them on somebody else. If you're man enough or woman enough to choose the sin, then hey, how about you be man enough or woman enough to own it? Don't deflect it. Somebody else, somebody... No. Because that's where repentance begins. Repentance ultimately begins with, I eat it. And then I can come boldly before the Lord and approach Him. So don't miss this. Rebellious hearts rarely ever admit their true object of rebellion and justify away their sin with other people, other things, and other situations to satisfy their own consciousness. In other words, who should Cain have been angry with in this situation? You've got two options. Number one, himself... Or number two, who? God. That's who he should have been angry with. Who does Cain deflect his anger towards? Abel. Abel had nothing to do with this whole scenario. Abel is just a brother worshiping. And that old jealous heart rises up. You may be jealous of somebody in this room. Well, that person has this, or that person has that, and I should have this, and I should have that. It's rotten. It's rotten, and it's gross to the core. And now the consequences of the upcoming choice are more ominous than the original choice. What's he going to do now? As we speed it on up, personal choice number two. Verse 8, Cain spoke to his brother Abel, so he's got this premeditation now. He's, he's planned this out. He spoke with him. Hey, hey, let's head on out to the field, brother. Okay. And as they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and he killed him. Remember, these brothers looked more alike than you've ever dreamed of looking like your brother or sister. There was no natural selection at this point. Like people haven't morphed and all this got like... They look alike, they sound alike, they walk alike, they talk alike. There's all kind of things going on. But because of sin's fallout, he kills him with his own bloody hands. He doesn't take a rock, he doesn't take a shovel, he doesn't take a... Verse 11 tells us he killed him with his own hands. That's the fallout of sin. Doctrine of sin. Takes you deeper than you ever dreamt you would go. How dare... God bless 
another person than us? How dare God use another person than us? How dare God not applaud me when I show up with an offering in hand? How dare God? Amos and Isaiah has a lot to say about this. The Lord says in Amos, if your heart is far from me, though you multiply your songs, they are noise and a gong to me. Though you multiply your prayers, I will not listen. That's not Troy making that up. That's Amos chapter 5. His heart was far from him. And every homicide ultimately finds its first root as a spiritual homicide. That's just true. We don't murder that person just because of that person. It's a heart issue with God. God, I can't believe you let blah, blah, blah. I wanted the gold, but Nancy got blessed. So it's whether it's physical murder or mental murder. It all begins with the heart. Because if you could kill a person, you'd kill them, wouldn't you? You're like, no, I would never kill somebody. Yes, you would. And I would too. Like if you could kill somebody and not get caught, you would do it. As a matter of fact, some of you would kill the person inside this room that is sitting right next to you. Like you will definitely not admit that right now because you're afraid you would go to jail, but you would. You would kill that person if you could just get away with it. Remember, there's no law. There's no criminal justice system. This, they're just free and Cain's like, I'm going to kill him. And by gosh, he did. <laughs> like have you ever been so mad that you're like, I'm going to kill him? You ever been there? Well, Cain got there and he was like, I'm going to kill him. And then he killed him. Like it just went on. And you would too, which is why I'm convinced Julie Beth listens to these murder mystery podcasts. That's the second time I brought this up, and I'm trying to get it, make sure it's on footage, so that when I end up whacked and buried in the backyard, it's because she was like, you know what? Cain did it, and I'm going to do it too. He's dead. Here's the thing. All of it ultimately is an offense towards God. God, I don't like what you've done with this person or allowed them to do. And then we've got a personal callousing. We really do got to speed it up. Personal callousing, verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is, yes, you are. It's an outright lie. Took him further than he ever dreamed he would go. Now he's not just murdered, now he's lying blatantly to the Lord, like face to face. Like he's God. (laughs) I feel like if I would be honest to anybody, it would be God. He's like, Troy, did you lie about that situation? Yes, I lied about it. I'm so sorry. And he's talking like his God is in his face. He's like, where's your brother? And he's like, I don't know. Outright lie. And now he's indifferent to his dead brother. He's indifferent to his dead brother. That's how hard sin takes his heart. And so it's depraved and it's hardened him even further. Sin takes you farther than you want to go. Keeps you longer than you want to stay and costs you more than you want to pay. And now God's grace just turns to truthful rage. Absolute rage. We all love to talk about God as love. Like nobody wants to talk about God as also wrath. Because he's just. Now family chaos. Back to the broad impact. Verse 10. And the Lord said, what have you done? What have you done? Listen, Cain. What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. 
Though you've covered his body with dirt, his soul lives on and is still crying out to me. Because he's perfectly alive. And now you're cursed from the ground. The first human cursing in the Bible. Go back. Adam and Eve weren't cursed. Now they were cast out. There's only one person that's been cursed so far in the Bible. Who was it? The serpent. The serpent is cursed, and now the first human cursing occurs. You're cursed. And in this moment, he gets the cursing from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from me. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And so Cain shares the fate of the serpent. The earth is now his enemy and ultimately our enemy. This is why you have to work hard and get calluses and bloody. It all comes from Genesis. And then now we've got a personal narcissistic confession. I wanted to keep the thing of the P's and the C's, but I had to throw narcissism in there because that's what happens. There's zero remorse in this. There's zero conviction in this. Let's look at it. He's got caught, so he's got to say something, right? He don't care about his parents. He don't care about Abel, and he don't even care about God, ultimately. He just cares about himself. Verse 13, so Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and wander on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Never once did he say, God, I've offended your holiness, which is where true repentance begins. Never once. It's all about me. I don't want to get killed. Because he knew as a human, as life continued to expand, somebody was going to avenge his brother's blood. He knew it. And he didn't want it. He didn't want the consequence. We don't ever want the consequence of our sin, do we? We just want our sin. I want what I want. And then God again... (laughs) Family grace is offered. It's crazy. Verse 15. Then the Lord said to him, not so. Not so. (laughs) Like how many people right now in the room will admit that you're reading this story and going, not so. Are you kidding me, God? Is anybody else want Cain whacked? Am I the only one? I'm at least the only honest one. Okay. It's like... What are you, are you crazy, God? God says, not so. Because I'm a God of grace. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone who found him should attack him. Are you stunned with God's patience with Cain in this moment? Are, is anybody else stunned? Are you equally as stunned with the grace and patience he has with you? I am. That alone should cause us to worship church. That he would look at Cain's and grant us grace. Mark on him. We don't have time to go through this. What was Cain's mark? But you can find all kind of crazy stuff about this. Some people will say that God put a tattoo on him. So if you're looking for grounds to get that sleeve you've always wanted, maybe you can find it in this passage. He put some kind of mark on him. Um, there's even a, a, a rabbi who said that, uh, 
that he thinks that God gave Cain a dog. And everywhere he went with the dog, that dog would protect him and it would be a reminder of God. Yeah, okay, that's not true because dogs are dumb. Uh, <laughs> all the cat people, can I get an amen? Woohoo! Now all the dog people are mad at me, right? So here's this. I, we love them all. We love them all at Safe Haven. That's okay, not true. Um, <laughs> God's grace. He offers him this grace. The Lord engages him right where he's at in his sin. And he listened to this unrepentant sinner. Praise God. But there is a family consequence and curse. Verse 16. I promise our last verse for today. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod. And if you underline in your Bible, you have got to underline or circle east of Eden. Sin took him further than he ever dreamt he would go. Adam, in the middle of the garden, just wants a bite of fruit. Now, not only him, but also his family and ultimately everyone else is cast east away from Eden. Land of wandering. And most keep going east, don't we? (laughs) Like we've made it all the way to Northport. (laughs) We just keep on going east. And we never know if Cain repents or not. I don't think he does. You can disagree with me. That's fine. I don't think he does. Every time in Scripture he's mentioned, it's like it's never a good thing. It's always a bad thing. But the point is, he's allowed to live out his evil consequences. If God was just, he would just kill us all instantly when we sin. But because he's gracious, he gives chances to repent. And he gave Cain a lifetime of chances to repent. And that is the end of the narrative. Kind of. Because it is the end of the narrative in Genesis. But the author of Hebrews, oddly enough, is the one who picks back up this story. He picks it back up in chapter 12. It's going to be on the screen above. This story ends with the tragedy of the spilling of Abel's blood. But this exact same story in Hebrews ends with the victory of Christ spilling his blood. Very curious. Let's read this passage together. Because I don't want you to be like, hold up, Troy, that's a fun allegory and you're super spiritualizing it. I don't, like, this is really what's going on. The author of Hebrews is going back to Genesis. Listen to this. Speaking of a future for believers who walk into eternity. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gatherings, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enthroned in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Praise God. Now you're like, Troy, what does that mean? Here's what that means, church. Abel's blood screams, he's guilty. He is a sinful murderer. And the scandal of the gospel is that Christ's blood screams, he's forgiven and he's a holy son. Abel's blood screams, Guilty, despicable ice skater. 
Christ's blood screams, forgiven, precious daughter. Abel's blood screams, guilty, whoring adulterer. Christ's blood screams, forgiven, redeemed bride of mine. Abel's blood screams, guilty, selfish, glutton. Christ's blood screams, forgiven attendee to a feast that I'm going to hold of well-aged wine, Isaiah 25. Abel's blood screams, guilty, prideful thief. Christ's blood screams, forgiven recipients of all of my inheritance. Abel's blood screams, guilty, phony worshiper. And Christ's blood screams, forgiven, sweet child of mine. (laughs) And if you embrace Christ, Christ's blood will scream, for you. Why would you let Abel's blood attempt to scream for you? Conclusionary curveball. Salvation takes you further than you dreamed you could ever go, keeps you longer than you dreamed you could ever stay, and cost you far less than you dreamed you would ever pay. That's the gospel, church. That's reason to raise your hands in worship. That's reason to bow your knees. That's reason to say, Lord, all of me I give to all of you. I worship you, not out of obligation, but because your blood speaks a better word for me than my blood ever will. Band, come on back up. Because you guys know, because we gave you the outline way ahead of time. Y'all know that we're supposed to cover chapter 5 today. And we are. We'll take an intermission. I'm just kidding. (laughs) We'll cover chapter 5. But you're going to have to study on your own. It's going to be important for weeks to come, but here's chapter 5. Ready? Boom. Boom. Cain gets a wife and has kids. He builds a city and names it after his firstborn Enoch. Uh, Enoch gets after it and starts spitting out generations too. Eventually, he has a great, great, great grandson, Lamech. He's going to be the first polygamist on the earth. He is just a train wreck of depravity. Adam's going to keep having kids, particularly one named Seth. Eve thinks it's going to replace Abel, but it does ultimately lead to Noah and then ultimately to Abraham, who is the lineage of Jesus. Wickedness keeps abounding. People at that point begin calling on the Lord east of Eden. I also have people like Enoch who do walk with God. He doesn't even physically die. That's a whole thing. There's a whole mixing of godly people with ungodly people producing all kinds of powerful people. They're called Nephilim. Fascinating study. They may be aliens. They may be something else. We don't know what they are. But all the point is they don't call on the Lord at all. And it's just real bad. There's more on that in just a second. Uh, So man's days are shrunk from hundreds of years. Methuselah lived 969 years. From this point on, you can only live to be 120. And I know you're like, I know somebody lived 121. That's not the point. Um, And then we hit this monumental verse, chapter 6. See, we just made it all the way through chapter 5. And you're like, I wish we'd have gone through 4 like that. Chapter 6, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of thoughts of his heart were only continual evil. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. And we'll pick back up right there next week. That was a lot, church, wasn't it? Thanks for hanging in. 
the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your text. God, we're probably all exhausted in this room right now. No, I am. God, I don't pray. I just pray that not one drop of Genesis chapter 4 falls empty. But everything that we've thought through from the blood of Abel to the blood of Jesus, from sin to salvation, from fall to redemption, God, that everything would grow deep within us and cause us to worship the greatness of Jesus even more.